Welcome to Warriors Offcourt, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau. On today's episode, I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. A lot has been written about what Golden State could do with its top five pick. But we look at potential sleepers in this draft that the Warriors might want to zero in on. Wes, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast once again. I feel like you're a mainstay at this point. Um, and once again, we're doing this over the phone because you are still bunkered in your apartment in San Francisco, correct? Yep. Still here. <laughs> And I'm still in Alameda, but uh, the great thing about technology is we can record anywhere um, and from anywhere. Uh, so basically, obviously, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands. I, if you're anything, anyone like me, you're spending a lot of your free time scouring the NBA draft, trying to get to know a lot of these prospects, not just the top five guys, not just the top ten guys, but guys maybe that aren't super familiar to the average NBA fan and this the interesting thing about this draft is I know it's been called a weak draft and I think the reason it's called a weak draft is because the top talent isn't super elite there aren't a lot of guys that you can look at and say that is a Zion Williamson caliber player that is a future all-star but talking to scouts around the league there are, there is talent in this draft there's talent in every draft there's that's just there has to be um, it's just about identifying it. So there could be guys, you know, late lottery, mid to late first round, maybe even second round, who end up being franchise changers. What do you What do you think about the depth of this draft? Um, look, I mean, you look at guys like Giannis and Kawhi. They were both taken in quote unquote weak drafts, right? And they both ended up being not just franchise players, but some of the like on, on like on the path to being one of the, you know, two of the best 20 players we've ever seen. So I don't know if that player is in this draft. It's hard to say, obviously. But, um, look, there's going to be somebody who gets picked late lottery, right outside the lottery or something like that, who ends up being one of the best players in this draft. And, sure, it's it's part, part of it is uh, hitting the right player, just getting the right player, getting a guy like Giannis, getting a guy like Kawhi, guys who are just taken late, they're just maniacal, about their work ethic, uh, have the tools that are, are that make them able to contribute right away so they're getting on the court, but then they have that extra gear, that internal something, that X factor that makes them able to get to that, that next sort of plane of existence, so to speak, in the NBA. And then part of it is also just circumstance and coaching and things like that. So for Warriors fans, fortunately for the Warriors, the coaching thing, the whole ecosystem thing, check that box off, right? Like, that's already taken care of. They will they will be able to harness whatever player they draft. And I know a lot of Warriors fans have been upset with the way that this organization has um, groomed prospects in the past, 28 picks and so on and so forth. But we're not talking about, right now, the end of the first round, second round picks, okay? We're talking about a top five pick, guaranteed. Um, they could trade out of it but they wouldn't trade out of it to the point where they're not getting any, like they're not going to trade back to 28. You know what I mean? Right. So they're going to have a higher pick than they've had in quite a long time. And that player is going to have a lot of upside, a lot more upside than any player they've picked in quite a long time. The other part of that obviously is when you've got a team full of all-stars and superstar players, you don't really cater to the rookies. You don't practice a lot. 
you don't really you don't have a, a, a an org a, a, an ecosystem so to speak that facilitates to development. Now this team has sort of rejiggered their entire situation and they are catering toward development as we as we've seen this last season. So that's my long-winded answer of saying they are going to pick somebody with a lot of upside. They are going to be uh, very they're they're going to be very focused on that player's development, and I have trust in this coaching staff that they will be able to develop that player. Uh, to, to the most of their abilities, it's just whether or not they can pick the right player, and that's what, what we're really talking about here. Yeah, and I got the chance to talk to Bob Myers yesterday, and he basically said they're at the point where they're creating tiers. So they have a top tier, yeah. a second tier, a third tier. And every team does this around this, this time of the year. It's not unusual to the Warriors. But the Warriors are are very insistent that their tier is not going to be dictated off what other teams like. So if they have a guy who they think is it belongs in their top tier that is not going to be in other teams' top tier, a guy who could easily slide to the mid to late first round, let's say, then they're going to be more apt to trade down in the draft, get an asset, you know, maybe package that traded player exception, get an asset, get a player that can help them next season, and then also get the guy that they really like. Because mm-hmm. there, there isn't, like we said, there isn't a Zion in this draft. There isn't someone who's a surefire, sure thing. Anthony Edwards is probably the closest to that, and I think there's a good chance they could end up taking him at number one if they get the number one pick. But he's not so elite that you have to take him. You know what I mean? You can you can yeah. field other answers. Yeah, that's the key here, right, is you have – Tiers. Like every draft, you're gonna have tiers, and the people I'm talking to in the Warriors too, they they they're saying the same exact thing. It's there's probably a top 15 to 20 that are tiered out within three different tiers, and the difference between this draft and other drafts, because you're right. I mean, every team does this for every draft. You tier out your players. You have your you know your number one tier, your number two tier, so on and so forth. The difference here is that there's probably not as much of a gap within those tiers, and that's the whole point of tiering it out. You have to do it. But there are still variations and gaps between draft to draft. And like last year, for example, Zion Williamson was everybody's tier one. He was a tier unto himself, right? And then your second tier had like Ja Morant and things like that. But Zion was clearly just the one player tier one guy. There's no such player like that in this draft. I, I agree with you. I think Anthony Edwards is probably the number one pick just because of his upside, because um, of his skill set that just projects well to the NBA, especially if you were drafted to the Warriors. It makes a lot of sense for them. But the other part of this is that, you know, number one picks, number two picks, they get paid a lot more money than number five, number six, number seven, number eight, and so on, right? I mean, it is a pretty steep drop in salary when when you start getting lower in, in the lottery or even, you know, toward, you know, top 10 versus top three is a lot different, uh, is, is a big difference in salary. And for a team that is already projected to have the highest payroll in the league next year and is going to be paying probably about $50 million in luxury tax if they take the number one player, that means a lot, right? That is a lot of money. And as we know, the luxury tax you know, grows exponentially the more money you're paying to it. And so I think part of that matters too is do we want to, do we want to be paying Anthony Edwards $10 million a year or would we rather have X player at you know, half of that if we think that the the difference between their talent level and their upside is only marginal, you make you make a really good point. And I feel just studying this draft a bit, I feel like there's going to be 
several guys in the late first round, well into the second round, who end up being super helpful and maybe just as helpful, if not more helpful, than a lot of guys taken in the lottery. That's just how that's how weird this draft is. Like you like you mentioned earlier, Giannis was taken fifteenth in two thousand thirteen. Who was the number one pick in that draft? Uh Anthony Bennett. Anthony Bennett, who's not even in the NBA much actually he's not even on a, a team right now. I saw him on the bench last year in a G League team, the Agua Caliente Clippers. He can't even get a G League offer right now. Uh that's how bad he is. And yet Giannis was taken in that draft. Now Giannis was a guy who was coming out of the Greek second division, who was super raw, had incredible physical tools, but hadn't really proven anything at a high level. Basically, the Bucks took the approach of we have the 15th pick in the draft. We're going to just take a flyer on the guy who has the most upside. Now, a lot of people entering that draft looked at Giannis as a guy who was going to go late first round. So 15 was actually really early for him. And mm-hmm. they just said, you know what, there's not anyone that's, that we love in this draft. We're just going to take a flyer on this young kid from Greece. Look how it panned out. I kind of think this is a draft where the Warriors should consider doing a similar thing. Yeah, and look, I mean, they're in a situation where they are going to be able to – well, they they should be able to trade back. Now, the the big, you know, caveat with that is the Warriors know that this is not it, – it, this is not a great draft, and the Warriors aren't the only team that knows that, right? This is not billed as a great draft. There's not a uh, a blue-chip player in the top five, and so, like, not all the other teams are stupid, right? Every other team knows that. Every other team has been scouting and paying attention. So trading back could be difficult, and I do think – I mean, you mentioned the traded player exception earlier, and I think the the value of that traded player exception, especially in a situation where the salary cap could fluctuate drastically based on the uh, the hiatus of the season and how much revenue the league is going to miss, um, the, the, the TPE becomes that much more valuable of a tool because they now, the Warriors, can absorb a contract of up to $17 million, $17.2 million. That becomes really useful when it comes to other teams maybe trying to shed salary and trying to avoid luxury tax. The Warriors are going to pay the luxury tax no matter what. It's depending on it. All, all it depends now on is how much of a luxury tax they're willing to pay. But they could go to other teams and say, look, you don't want to pay that much tax. You don't want to be over the cap. You don't want to deal with this. We can just absorb a salary of up to $17 million and you don't have to worry about it anymore. And that could be really now the, the asset that they're using on draft night. Not necessarily the top five picks but more so the TPE package with a top five pick where they could trade down and grab a good player in return, that to me is the asset that they should be thinking about, not really having this top five pick. Because I don't even know that there's a player that anybody's going to fall in love with. I mean, unless we're talking about like a James Wiseman or a Lamelo Ball or, or an Anthony Edwards, unless somebody's just dying, chomping at the bit to just get up there, uh, which I just I don't really see that in this draft. So the Warriors are going may have a hard time trading back and getting specifically to that spot that they want to get to for some of these guys that they may be targeting later. But that's going to be the challenge for Bob Myers in, in, in that front office. I think in an ideal world, if knowing what they know about this draft, if the Warriors could script this draft perfectly, they would get the number one pick and then use the TPE to trade down maybe to mid-lottery. Yeah, like eight. A guy like that. helpful piece that can be in the rotation next year, a guy like Ricky Rubio I know you've talked about, which I think is yeah. a good a good option. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, um, someone like that who 
can come in and be your sixth or seventh guy on a team that's trying to vault into contention next season. And then also get a guy who has a ton of upside that maybe you can be a little bit more patient with. Um, Because if they they get the number one pick and draft Anthony Edwards, they're going to have to depend on Anthony Edwards to be – at least a helpful rotation yeah. player next season, which yeah. which I think he's capable of doing. But I, in a lot of ways, I think that by trading down and using the TPE, you're getting the best of both worlds because you don't have any pressure on that rookie to be super helpful right away, and you can be patient with them. No, that's a great point. That is the honest approach, right, is, hey, let's just trade back. We're the Milwaukee Bucks. We're in the middle of the pack. Let's take this Giannis guy, but we love Chris Middleton. We've got all these other pieces. Like the the Bucks were bullish on their future that year, right? It may have not, it wouldn't have panned out had they not gotten Giannis, but they liked what they what they had going for them, and so they took a flyer on Giannis, and obviously that worked out. The other option is take is kind of go the Kawhi Leonard route, where the Spurs actually traded a, an asset that they had in George Hill, moved up moved up in the draft to take Kawhi Leonard, because they thought that Kawhi could contribute right away. And a lot of people up, thought that was a bad trade at the time because yeah, George, George Hill was a very young. hopeful player. Yeah. He was a 16th pick in the draft, I believe, which there's mm-hmm. not a ton of value there historically. So that was basically the Spurs saying, we love this guy, and we're going to bang oh, 100%. him. 100%. Yeah, they loved, they loved Kawhi Leonard. Popovich famously didn't want to – like was really reluctant to make the trade but loved Kawhi Leonard so much because he also loved George Hill. And by the way, like Tony Parker was aging out, so they had George Hill in place as the point guard of the future, and they're like, We'd still rather have Kawhi. We're that we're that high on Kawhi Leonard versus versus George. So that's an example of great scouting. Where I think Giannis, and I mean I don't mean to take any credit away from the Bucks here. Giannis was kind of it was good scouting, but there's a lot of luck involved with Giannis. It just had to be, and it's again nothing at the Bucks, but just based on the fact that he barely played, and we were looking at grainy footage of him versus chair. Like luck had to be involved. I don't care how good of a scout you are. So. I think that the Warriors are in both worlds here, but back to your point, though, if you're able to trade back, because, again, the Spurs were trading up in that draft. The the Milwaukee Bucks are right in the middle of the draft. The Warriors are different because they're going to have a top-five pick, so they're going to be able to move back. And by moving back, they're going to be able to put themselves in a position where they're not having to rely on that player. So they can kind of just take whoever they think has the highest upside if they want to go that route. Um the other way is to just keep that top five pick and take that player who you think could be more Kawhi-like, where that player could contribute right away because you need him to contribute right away, like you said, but may have a high upside where um, you know he gets on the floor right away, he's doing something right away, but you know over three four years he develops into you know that franchise superstar, and um, you know that really just comes down now uh, to a case by case basis in this draft where. The Warriors really have to fall in love with somebody. And I do think, ultimately, the Warriors, they're not going to settle. Like, they are going to talk themselves into somebody. I don't know if that will be the right pick or not, but they will talk themselves into somebody, target that person, and and put themselves in a position to go get that person, even if they need to reach. Like, it might be a situation where they trade back to, let's call it seven, okay? Let's say they trade back to seven. They could end up taking a player who on a lot of big boards is at, like, 18, but they might fall right. in love with that player and just grab him, right? Because right. you, can never, you never know how these back. guys go. They're trading back probably for a guy that they know they, they, they that they can get. Right. You know, if, if they trade back to, let's say, seven, and Obi Toppin somehow falls to seven, they'll definitely have to consider it, but they probably didn't trade back for Obi Toppin. You know what I mean? Right. 
Right. So, and that's, and that's um, kind of what we're talking about today, right, is some of these guys who we haven't been really talking about because we've been talking about the Obi Toppins, the Anthony Edwards, the James Wise, the Lamella Ball, all these players. Um, but there's a lot of guys in this draft who we're not talking about a lot right now, just like we weren't talking about Kawhi. We weren't really talking about Giannis other than like, wow, this is like Bigfoot footage. Like, what are we doing with this? Um, like, who are the guys we're not talking about who are going to blow up, you know, five years from now? And that's why I want to I wanted to have this podcast because I do think, understandably, we're all very focused on the top, you know, guys who could go in the top five because the Warriors are going to have a top five pick. But just researching this draft and we're talking to people more, I'm realizing more and more that it's not just about the guys that could go in the top five. They The Warriors are doing their due diligence. They're studying the whole draft. And uh, I think I think we need to do the same thing. And so I want to ask you, I know you've done your research, you We've obviously had a lot of free time the past few days. Who do you like that the Warriors would have to trade down for? Now, this can be this can let's start out with guys who can be late lottery to mid to late first round. We can talk second round in a little bit. Let's talk about guys who will definitely go in the first round. Um, I think the highest rated guy who's been talked about a little bit to me would be Tyrese Halliburton, point guard out of Iowa State. He checks a couple of boxes that the Warriors care about. He could go about. top five. His stock is he could go top five. So if he doesn't count, then I'll move on right away. Like if you want to just dodge that, but he's not really one of the guys that I feel like has been talked about as far as like a number. I mean, he's a guy to like me that if pick. they really wanted, and let's say they had the fifth pick in the draft, they wouldn't trade down. They would just take. Him no, they would him. just take him. Yeah, I mean, he's the basketball feels out, you know, off the charts, and he's actually one of the few guys within like this top five to ten range who's actually been productive <laughs> this season in college. Yeah. I think they care about that. The so, knock on him is he has a funky jump shot, but he's effective. He shot over 50% from the field this year. His, his shooting percentage from three was solid. Um, look, I don't care if you have that funky of a jump shot if you're if you're productive with it and you're efficient. Yeah, and you can get away with it when you're playing with Stephen Clay, and that is the ultimate trump card that this team has is, all right, however funky your shot is, and if you're not totally reliable from, from deep, it doesn't matter because spacing is not going to be a problem for us. Um, but if we're moving on from, like, the Tyrese Halliburton type of tier, we're going to that next tier then. The guy that I'm looking at, and I love this guy, and I'm not really sure how to say his name, but um, the Memphis Power Forward Center, Precious Achiwa, I think I'm saying it right, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love him. 6'9", 225. I think he's, he's got, like, a 7'1", 7'2", wingspan, okay? This guy is playing mostly Power Forward at Memphis, but he can play center. And there's a guy that a lot of a lot of people are really high on right now in the NBA in Bam Adebayo, and he projects very closely to Bam Adebayo. Really That's quick, what you like, cause you've gotten Bam comparisons. And I love Bam. I'm voting for him for most improved if we ever get to do that. Um, it's it. He's got this north to south, east to west range. I mean, he's, he's extremely fluid. Um, he's productive. You watch a Memphis game, and he jumps off the screen. I'm telling you, like his athleticism is next level. And if you're the Warriors and you're looking for a guy with extremely high upside, he's not going to be your lead ball handler. He's not going to be your, like, Kobe Bryant-type scorer like Kawhi. He's not going to be the, the fulcrum of your offense like Giannis. But he can be one of the most valuable – like, Bam Adebayo right now is maybe one of the top three most viable centers in the league. I'm, that's not hyperbole. I don't think I'm exaggerating with that. No, and, he, and he's if, top two to me. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, Joel Embiid being the other one? Yeah. Yeah, so – I think with Precious here, uh, he has this ability 
If you're the wor- like, for, if you're the Warriors, I don't think you need to take James Wiseman at number one. I don't think that they are interested in take, taking James Wiseman at number one. Not only because I don't think the, they're not high on James Wiseman, and you've reported this, they're not high on James Wiseman, but they don't want to pay a guy like James Wiseman what it, what you have to pay him if you're going to take him, right? Which is going to be between eight and ten million dollars for picking him in the top three. But if you can move down and you can get a guy who is extremely switchable, which Precious is, which the Warriors like and has some upside from an athletic standpoint to do things on both sides of the court. Um, I mean, he's, he's fluid. He runs the court well. Offensively, he flashes enough uh, floor spacing ability. He flashes enough uh, basketball feel from a ball movement uh, perspective that I think he can contribute um, pretty quickly on both ends and has a pretty high upside. And you're not going to have to pay him what you're going to have to pay James Wiseman. So he can just sort of fit right in to that young mix at center along with Marquise Chris and Kevon Looney and all these other guys. And by the way, if Kevon Looney can never really shake whatever this is that he's got going on, uh, Precious um, kind of projects well into that role too. So he gives you a little bit of insurance from that perspective. Yeah. uh, Precious is one of those guys where he's very athletic and he doesn't do anything that's beyond his, abilities he doesn't he plays within himself which i appreciate you know he's like i'm gonna rebound i'm gonna take efficient shots i'm gonna play around the rim and i i I appreciate that awareness from a young guy um which is something that bam always had so yeah i can see i can see why you like him we'll have more of my conversation with wes goldberg right after the break The guy I'm going to bring up that kind of fits into that general tier is someone who is very polarizing, uh, R.J. Hampton, uh, 18-year-old, initially from the States, but played with the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL this year. He was a guy who actually could have been a senior in high school this year. He reclassified from the 2020 class to the 2019 class and uh, and played overseas, played at a relatively high level in Australia this year. And um, he didn't he didn't do anything crazy spe- spectacular. His numbers won't jump off the page. Um, you know, he wasn't super efficient. He averaged about nine points on forty one percent shooting, twenty nine percent from three. Um, but the thing that I like about him is he is just so gifted physically. He's so long and rangy. He he looks like a guy who can develop into an all-star caliber player. And everything that I've heard about him, he's very hardworking, very professional mindset, you know, uh, got along with his teammates, you know, checked all the intangibles. And so I look at someone like him and I'm like in this draft and I'm thinking he has as much upside as anyone in this entire draft. And, if I could trade down to the mid to late lottery and take him, I would be definitely interested in it. You know, he's not a guy that's going to be super helpful to you next season. Um, probably he's going to need a couple years. He'll probably, he would probably be in the G league a little bit next season. But to me, he's more a Giannis type than he is a Thon Maker type. You know, like mm. I think he, I think he can be, at least a very helpful player. And let's keep in mind, this guy is the youngest player in the draft. He's 18 years old. He should be a high school senior this year, and he held his own against professional competition overseas. That's that's very impressive to me. 
Yeah, the thing about R.J. Hampton, I'm glad you brought him up because he's, he's 6'5". He's, he's like 190 pounds wet, right? Like the dude is tiny. But he's got 6'11 wingspan, and his growth spurt was a late one. So there is the opportunity there for him to maybe grow a couple more inches too. Like you said, he's the youngest guy in the draft. Um, and, and his athletic profile is insane. I, quick first step. He plays above the rim. So he's kind of got that going on. And I wanted to – and the interesting thing about R.J. Hampton, you look, about the, you look at the guys who have sort of exploded uh, beyond their, their selection over the last few years. They kind of all have the same thing in common. Draymond Green was like this where, oh, he doesn't really do anything great, but he's got a couple of things that we like, but we're not really sure what position he plays. Let me read you his ESPN um, uh, in, areas from improvement. Um, solid foundation overall, but doesn't quite have one elite skill. Needs to become a more consistent three-point shooter, especially off the dribble. All right, so that's one bullet point. Another bullet point. I would say he, he has the lead skill, and that's his ball handling. I think it's his ball handling and his ability to play over the rim, but still. Keep everything yeah. – uh, it doesn't quite – like. all right, the next thing is – next bullet. Can stand to toughen up, okay, a little bit more. Um, the next bullet. Defensive technique needs work, okay? So what we're talking about with all three of those quote-unquote weaknesses. All right, is he a tweener? He doesn't do anything well? All right, great. Well, he doesn't really do anything poorly either, which means he's going to be able to get on the court right away. Defensively, I think he can guard both positions. He's long enough. He's athletic enough. He's got good feel. I think he'd figure it out, like you said, good work ethic from everything that we're hearing. Um, toughen up a bit? Okay, great. The guy's 18. He's going to toughen up. You know, By the time he's 24, six years from now, he'll probably be a little bit tougher and still extremely young. Big deal. And defensive technique? Well, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, if there's a like good coaching staff's figure that stuff out. We saw how much work the Warriors did with this young team defensively. I mean, on pace to be the worst team ever in the history of the NBA for the first month of the season, and they, you know, got out of the, the – and they weren't the last-ranked team defensively by, by the time the league went on hiatus. That is a remarkable turnaround. Uh, I, I trust this coaching staff to get the most out of these guys on that end. So you look at these weaknesses, and it kind of works within the framework of what the Warriors – can sort of uh, um, deal with. And so I, I love RJ Hampton as a, as a potential pick for this team. The one thing he's not going to be able to do, like you said, is contribute right away. So if they're able to trade back and pick up a couple of contributors with the TPE and the MLE, they don't have to worry about that. They can hide them on the roster. They can let them develop patiently, and, and they can get the most out of them. But I do still, I think he can play a little bit right away. I don't away. think he's, he's as far to play from contributing to an NBA team as some people say. I mean, I agree. The NBL is probably what the fourth or fifth best league in the world. He played against guys. He played, you know, he had he played against Aaron Brooks, who was a very good player in the NBA. He played against Andrew Bogut. He played against guys who were elite college players um, at the age of 18 years old and held his own. And to speak to your point about his defense, he was actually really solid defensively at that level, yeah. even though he's super skinny. So he and he has the type of frame that looks like it can add muscle. So he yeah. adds twenty, thirty pounds of muscle next season as a rookie. You're looking at a guy who can come in and at least be a really helpful defender, if nothing else. Yeah, and he was a, he was weird. His whole draft story is kind of interesting because he was highly touted coming out of high school, and he was maybe a, he was considered a top five pick at the beginning of the college basketball season. And a bunch of guys sort of left over him, Anthony Edwards including, uh, included, and he kind of kept falling. 
and he ended up falling to like you know eighteen twenty range, and he's recently kind of snuck back up into like late lottery range. So his whole, his stock has been so fluid, and I don't really know why that is, right? I don't have much information yeah. on why that is, but it's it, I, my guess, my educated guess would be because this draft is so fluid, just dudes have to sort of move around, and he's one of those guys that it's so easy to move around. Um, and because he doesn't have that quote-unquote elite skill set, even though I think you and I agree that his ball handling is not elite but potentially elite and I think sets him apart immediately within this draft among a lot of people, and his, his athleticism. I mean, I just I love guys who can just immediately come in and play above the rim. I think we almost right. overestimate three-point shooting right away. We're like, oh, you can't shoot threes? Then you're dead to me. It's just like, no. Give him a, like a guy's 18 years old. He will learn to shoot threes. Not to compare everybody to LeBron, but LeBron was an above-the-rim player. Giannis was an above-the-rim player. We saw LeBron become a better three-point shooter over the course of his career. Same with Giannis. He's in the middle of working on that, but he's definitely gotten better, you know? And so I think that that can come, but athleticism you can't teach, and it comes down to that all the time. I almost feel like we we don't value that just innate athleticism enough. We look at athleticism in, the, in like, the way that we look at a James Wiseman, but we also look at James Wiseman because he's seven feet tall, okay? Like, RJ Hampton is not seven feet tall. He's not very big, but you know the wingspan is, is good. It, is like you said, the frame is much ball. No, I'm with you. I actually agree with you on that because I think Lamelo Ball has a pretty clear ceiling. Where and if look, if you're if you're drafting for ceiling, I think RJ Hampton's ceiling is higher than Lamelo Ball. I also in in the context he can of the play Warriors, off the ball too. in the context of the Warriors, he well, makes more well, sense well, than Lamelo does. The ball. Right. Um, and that's that's a problem. We've seen that over and over and over again with point guards drafted in the top ten. If you can't play off the ball, what are you going to do? Because point guard is the hardest position to learn in the NBA. It just is. Um, and so it, the odds of you being able to play on the ball right away, the odds of you being Ja Morant right away are very slim. That's why we are so taken aback when we see a Ja Morant or a Chris Paul who's just good at playing point guard immediately. It's a very rare thing. It's probably the rarest thing in the draft. And so right. if you're a point guard play if, if you're a point guard right away, the point guards who end up play, being, you know, franchise level point guards are usually guys who are able to take their time. Even with Steph, I mean, he was able to play with Monte Ellis for the beginning of his career. At, at some point it got it got to the point where that was untenable, but there's no doubt that that was important to Steph Curry's development early in his days where if you didn't have Monte Ellis there, you may have been asking Steph to do too much too soon. And then even after Montales left, you had a Jared Jack and guys like that who were able to help him along. Um, you need those guys. And so if you're asking a guy like Lamella Ball to play right away and be your lead ball handler because you can't really do anything else, I think that's problematic. I'm very low on Lamella Ball, obviously. Yeah, same, same. I, I, <laughs> I think that who's ever going to end up with Lamella Ball is going to be a team that isn't super smart. And it's going to be the Pistons, it's going to be the Knicks, it's going to yeah. be – a team that doesn't really know what's doing. Um, yeah, ask so, yourself like ask yourself what the smart teams would do in the league. And I think the Warriors are one of the smart teams, but they don't have the context that I haven't drafted very high lately. Like look right. at what the smart like the Spurs. What did they do? You know, they go and they trade up, they go grab Kawhi, and they had a pretty decent pick that year anyway. I think they only moved up a few picks. Um, the Miami Heat, the Spurs got, who have maybe one of the Tony Parker at twenty-eight. They got yeah, Andrew Ginobili in the fifties. That, that's my and they, point. And when they've that's had when they've had high picks, they Exactly, exactly. And you just the teams that consistently hit on picks, they don't take the Lamelo balls of the world, right? I'm not talking about his dad. I'm just talking about like the hype around him. They go, they find the guy they like, and they go get him. Like damn the big boards. Like I don't care what you know 
uh, Mike Schmitz or Chad Ford or anybody on Bleacher Report or whatever has to say, this is the player I like. He fits within the context of our team. We like his upside, and and that's who we're going to draft. And that kind of like it goes into like this whole should you draft best player available or, or team need, and that's such a binary way of looking at it, and it's not right. a real way of how teams view this thing. Everybody's, oh, you just always take best player available or else you miss on Michael Jordan. You miss I, on Kobe Bryant. I'm a huge fan of identifying who you really like and then going after him. Right. Because if you've identified who you like, you probably had time to fully vet him. You know his mom. You know his 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 family. You know his background. You know what he's about. And so you're you're going to be less surprised when he shows up at training camp or you know preseason and is has whatever issues he has because you fully vetted him in every way. Um, so I'm going to ask you who's your who's your next guy? You know, Precious is a good example of what we're talking about. Who's another guy you think kind of fits that bill? Um, so I'm gonna I want to just shout this guy out a little bit, um, but I'm not. But I'm personally still working on this player. I was much higher on this player at the beginning of the year, but he's had a really bad season. Um, Jaden McDaniels from Washington. He has the, yeah. the he's got the skill set theoretically. He's got the physical profile that is exactly what the Warriors need. Six ten, two hundred pounds, projects as a guy who can protect the rim from the four spot. He can you can move him over. You can play him next to Draymond Green. Um, he's versatile offensively, where he's able to attack the rim. Um, he can make threes from the corner, but man, he's so inconsistent. The motor is just not completely there. His basketball field, there's still a lot of questions and just hasn't really improved over the, over the course of the season and just fades a lot. I don't know if that's a Washington thing in general, but, um, I, I would, I really wanted JD McDaniels to be better than he was this year at Washington. So moving past him, one guy who I really liked and he was productive was Aaron Naismith at Vanderbilt. Um, He's oh, my guy. That's who I was going to bring up. Oh, yeah? No, he's, he's, he's exactly what the Warriors need. He's a try-hard guy. He play, He Again, you know, he, he projects well defensively, 6'6", 215 pounds, something like that. Um, long wingspan, productive year at Vanderbilt, and a knockdown three-point shooter. I mean, if you're talking about a 3-and-D guy, if we're talking about sort of the Kawhi Leonard um, route, this guy is – Aaron Naismith is one of – it kind of fits that bill where – you can play him right away. He's going to be able to guard, you know, probably two or three different positions immediately, and he's going to knock down open shots right away. And that makes him a bit, he, that makes him able to contribute right away. But maybe the upside is there where he can be a little bit more than that if if that X factor is there, which you, you only know when you get him in house. Yeah, this draft is so fluid where there's a lot of guys where I'm looking at them and I'm watching their film and I'm reading about them and I'm I'm like, why aren't higher on draft boards. Why aren't they higher on mock drafts? I just I don't understand it. And he's one of them. Um, he was injured this year, so that may be part of it. He only played 14 games. So a very small sample size. But in those yep. 14 games, he did everything you want him to do. Um, and for me, the biggest thing is he's an elite shooter. He's a great shooter. And you can always find a, a place for a guy who's an elite shooter like that. Um so my guy 52%, I, 52% from three-point range at eight three-point attempts per game this last year at Vanderbilt. Granted, it's the college line, but he's an 82.5% free throw shooter. He's a five, he's a 50% shooter from two-point range. I mean, the guy is just like – he's literally – he's a 50-50-80 player in his, in his sophomore year at Vanderbilt. 
Um, and what what you said um, before uh, about you know you look at these guys and you're go- you're going through a draft and you're like why isn't this guy higher? That's a that's a that's a major flag. Like that is a marker. I, I remember um, a few years ago, Jason Tatum was very similar to that. And there was a people that were definitely high on Jason Tatum, but like during the draft process, Jason Tatum was at like nine or ten on a lot of big boards. I mean, we're not. And he ended up being the best player in that draft. I don't think it's close. Right. And it was basically him and Bam out of Iowa, of all people. But uh, those are the two best players in that draft. And and they got drafted beyond, you know, Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz and, and all these other – and Darren Fox. And some of these other guys were also up in there. And, you know, Darren Fox ended up playing with being good and Lonzo Ball is fine. But those two, like Bam and Jason Tatum, are the stars of that draft. And uh, Tatum, in particular – was one of these guys who was kind of 8, 9, 10, and ended up going all the way up to number three because a lot of uh, scouts around the league did that same thing. They're like, why isn't this guy higher? Why haven't we made paid more attention to this dude? And so he, he moves up in the draft. Bam out of bio similar, but a little bit later. I remember like it was like a week before the draft where Bam was maybe a, a late first-round pick, and all of a sudden he was being projected in the lottery, and a lot of scouts talk, start talking about him as a lottery pick, and he goes number 13 to Miami. So those are the kind of guys that we might be. Yeah, and I, and I remember thinking that that was a little early because he wasn't productive at Kentucky, and I I always lean toward the guys who are productive in college. Yeah, I mean, with the 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 uh, I think the obvious call out would be Kentucky because they have like eight NBA players a year on their team, right. so they can only play them. So Michael Mulder was not even getting minutes at Kentucky, and he's right. on the roster for the Warriors, so unique situation and a lot of it is about fit and situation a lot you know i know a lot of us judge these international guys and like how how is he not getting minutes for that EuroLeague team and it's like well he's playing behind that guy who was national player of the year two years ago in the states and that other guy who just was getting rotation minutes with the Cavs. you know what i mean so Mm uh you have to you have to really study the situation the fit one guy that i think kind of fills that same billing that you were talking to talking about is Kyra Lewis Jr. out of Alabama, uh, 18-year-old sophomore. Um, he's a guy who is really young for his grade and has been super productive at Alabama, which is SEC high-level basketball. Um, he averaged 18.5 points, 4.9 rebounds, 5.2 assists with 1.8 steals per game while shooting – 36.3% from three for the second year in a row. Now, there are only three high major players in the last three decades who've ever hit those numbers. And he did that for a solid Alabama team um, in the SEC, going up against the Kentuckys, the Vanderbilts, all those schools, uh, night in and night out. And I like him because he's only 18 years old and He's already highly productive at a, at a high level. So he might not be a freak athlete. I know there are concerns about how much he turns the ball over. I think that's something you can get better at, uh, you know, with good coaching. He's not an elite pull-up shooter. His, his, flame, his, his frame is still pretty slight at 175 pounds, 170 pounds. But I look at his age, I look at his production, and I'm like, you know what, take a flyer on him. Yeah, the other if we're going to talk about that position, the other guy like um, who's kind of projecting that same range is Trey Jones from Duke. And when I look at point guards, I kind of look at guys who, okay, are you elite offensively where I don't have to worry about it defensively? 
because whatever points you give up on defense, you're going to make up for it on offense. Um, and a lot of that comes down to just pure shooting. The other thing I look at from a point guard standpoint is, can you guard your position well to great? Like, above, are you above average at guarding your own position? Because a lot of point guards can't even guard their own position. Most point guards in the NBA, if we talk about, oh, this guy's able to guard, like, three different spots, most guards in the NBA can't – they guard zero spots. Like, they can't even guard other point guards. Like, point guards are notoriously bad at guarding point guards. And that's why you have a guy like Seth being so valuable is because he gets you so many – and, by the way, he's gotten to be average defensively. But even early in his career when he was bad defensively, he was at least able to make up for it with his shooting, with specifically with his three-point shooting. Um, you look at a guy um, to a lesser scale, like a Lou Williams, so the Clippers, the reason why he's won a bajillion six-man-of-the-year awards is because he's literally elite offensively. Like, he is efficient, and he is elite, and he is a bucket. And so it doesn't really matter what he gives up defensively if you surround him with other good defenders. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, his one year where he was a top-five MVP candidate, same thing. Uh, but that is so far and few in between where – and it's generally why I'm anti-backup point guard and why I'd rather have backup ball handling duties by committee. And I think the Warriors have approached it that way too. But you look at a guy like Trey Jones, and he is legitimately really good defensively. He is like a Marcus Smart type where offensively there are questions. He's definitely streaky, and that's like the best version of him offensively, right, is streaky. Uh, but defensively, the dude is going to be able to guard point guards immediately. We're talking about Patrick Beverly level, Marcus Smart level type of defense right away. And that, to me, is such a novel skill set in the NBA that is really overlooked because you're talking about a guy who can get on the court, handle the ball a little bit, not turn over the ball a ton. He's not going to be a plus offensively, but he's going to be able to get things going. And if you're playing, if in, in the Warriors' case, if you're playing him next to a Clay Thompson or a guy like that, who can help space the floor quite a bit, it becomes less of an issue. Uh, and, and so I really like Trey Jones. I'm really high on guys who can – I'm really high on point guards who can guard other point guards at an above-average level just because I think that's maybe the rarest skill set in the NBA. I mean, I can literally count on three fingers NBA point guards who can guard at that level, right? And it's Kyle Lowry, it's Marcus Smart, and it's uh, Patrick Beverly, and that's the end of the list. Yeah. So I'm – to finish it off here, I'm going to ask for your guy who is a name that the average NBA fan has not heard, a guy who's second-round pick, best-case scenario, a guy who could even maybe go undrafted, a guy who is kind of off the, the bargain heap who you think the Warriors could have a chance to strike gold with. One guy? Um, hmm. Uh, I've got three guys here that I like, but I'll give you, mm, all right, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with the center cause we haven't really talked about center and I don't know how to say his name, so I am so sorry, but it's the seven footer out of Serbia and it's okay. like Alexev Kostevsky. I, <laughs> Aleskev, if I say it fast, maybe nobody will notice. Pokusevsky, um, Serbian seven footer. Kind of slide of frame. He's like seven feet tall, but he's like 200 pounds, which is not great. He's not just uh, slide of frame. He's like emaciated. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's the real issue with him. Yeah. And I think he's one of those draft and stash kind of guys or like draft and G League kind of guys. But the size that he has, I think there's a fright, like depending on who you talk to, but like, or, or what you read, like his, people think that he can fill into that frame and he's pretty young. Um, I just think that, but his skill set, like his raw skill set, he's got good basketball feel. I think that he projects well 
if you're just looking for a guy, um, if you're just looking for a guy who may be able to play center for you three years from now, and you're taking a flyer in the second round, you could do worse. Um, but that's I I don't love I don't love that I picked him, but that's sort of the guy that I'm going with. There's other guys that are like really he's, like he's really pick. intriguing because he's kind of like Lamelo Ball in that he does things that are incredible. Right. You know, he does things on the floor that make your mouth agape. You know, it's just it's like wow, that's unreal that he did that. But then you look at his numbers, and it's like you're really not efficient. You're not even playing at that high level. You're, you know, there's a lot of things about him that are very underwhelming. But then you watch the film, and you're like, if he can just put it together, if he can gain 30 pounds, if he can do this, if he can do that, he could be a great player. For me, there's just so many ifs with someone like that that more likely than not, he's going to be a guy you never hear from, will play his entire career overseas, and will never make it stateside. There are so many guys like that. Um, yeah. But I this understand him. why you bring him up because he does things that not a lot of people can do, and if he if he can put it together, he has a chance. Yeah, I mean he's athletic. He does like 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 you said. Like there's just moments where you're just like, holy crap! And it's like those kind of things where like you're like uh, six years from now when he's like an all star player and you're seeing like video like that grainy footage of him from Europe and everybody's like, why didn't they take him in the first round, right? It's like one of those things, but we see those kind of guys all the time. We just never look at the video again, you know, six years later from when they're drafted. But within the framework of the Warriors, like, he's a good ball handler. He, he's he got good feel for being able to pass the ball. I think he averaged, like, three assists last year. Right. Um, for, and, and so, uh, you know, those are the sort of things – like, those are the markers. Like, if you're drafting for the Warriors, you like seven-footers who can facilitate, and he's one of those guys. Um, but he's also maybe a little bit – too duplicative of uh, Alan Smiley-Geach if you're really, if we're just talking about like super raw players who you're trying to develop at that position, it might be problematic. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, there's another, there's a couple other guys that I like. I mean, guys that we're not talking about that people have definitely heard of is Peyton Pritchard, the point guard out of Oregon. Yeah. Veteran guy. We're talking about yeah. really high upside guys and he's a guy who, I don't think he's upside super high, but I think he be helpful from day one. Yeah, and the Warriors have scouted him. They like him. Uh, I don't know if they like him enough to draft him. When I, I think we we get that blown out of portion. If you hear a reporter say they like this guy, everybody's like, oh, they're drafting him. They just like him. Okay, big deal. Um, like but a lot of guys. yeah, they like like they're gonna like seventy guys in this draft. They're gonna talk themselves into seventy different guys in this draft probably. But um, he projects as an easy like. All right, let's invite him to training camp and see what he's got, and he'll probably look good. And he's gonna be like a coach's pet kind of guy. He's going to shoot well, and he's going to be able to handle the ball right away. And he's not going to turn. He's not going to screw up a bunch, right? And those are the kind of guys that coaches like. Um, and if you're, if and he can, I think can compete with Kai Bowman right away. And there's going to be a spot there. So that might be a, a player that they look at maybe toward the bottom of with one of their uh, two second round picks at the bottom of the draft. Yeah. So my guy is I'm I'm definitely going to mispronounce his name, but his name is uh, Abadoule Nadoy, um, out of France. Um, he's 21 years old. He plays at the the top level, top league in France. And he's a guy who's been on scouts radars for years and wanted to enter last year, but wasn't getting enough traction. So now he's kind of an interesting European prospect because most of the European prospects we talk about are guys who are 18, 19 years old, really young, maybe not getting a ton of playing time on their European teams, but but have a ton of upside. He's kind of the opposite of that. He's a guy who's 21, almost 22 years old, 
uh, who is very productive in the top level in France. He's averaging over 10 points, four re- uh, 4.3 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. And he's a guy who's 6'7 with a 7'2 wingspan, really athletic. And I think he's someone that you could take early in the second round who could come in and be a rotation piece for you from day one. And I think he has more upside than someone like a Peyton Pritchard. Um, So I like him, and he's another guy where I'm like, why aren't you higher on draft boards? I think it might be the type of situation where people looked at him a year or two ago and they really didn't like him. And they're looking at him now, and they're like, well, "You're still, the, you're still the same person," but he has improved a lot in the past year. So I think he he, he deserves some credit for that. Yeah, those are one of my favorite things to watch. Is have you already improved just by yourself? Because we talked about that X factor at the top of this show right now, and you know, one of the re- one of the ways to monitor that X factor is to look for hints of it, to look for just like signs of having that. X- have you just improved by yourself, regardless of context? And it's hard to look at that when guys are so, – there's so many one-and-done guys going into this draft that it's hard to just watch, just to see improvement year to year. And it's hard for guys to improve over the course of a college basketball season, especially as freshmen, right? So – but if you do, when you do see it, I think it's an important thing to consider. The other thing, and this is worth pointing out, you and I are picking a lot of European prospects, and I think the Warriors are interested in maybe selecting somebody – from overseas with one of their or both of their second round picks um, because that you have a draft and stash opportunity and there's yeah. only going to be so many, there's only going to be so many roster spots available. Um, right. You've got guys that they like, like Juan Toscano-Anderson and Michael Mulder and these sort of guys who not guaranteed to make the roster, but they like them enough to give them a shot. And both of those guys in particular are probably better than somebody you're going to be picking at number right. five. And, and so you may not want to trade away the pick, you may not be able – like, oh, just sell the pick. You might not be able to sell the pick, given how many, how much money teams are losing right now. Like, teams might not be willing to buy second-round picks, especially if that second-round pick is number 58, right, is number 55, wherever it ends up. Uh, so I, I just – I don't – like, it's again, I think Warriors fans think about what is best for the Warriors, but they don't consider that every other team isn't stupid. Um, so, I like, you're not – it's not guaranteed to be able to sell those off. So what's the other option? Um, if you don't want to add to your salary cap and if you don't want to necessarily if you don't necessarily want to draft a player just to cut that player is to draft somebody who you can plan on stashing overseas for a couple of years because that player doesn't the guy you to the salary Serbia cap. would be a good candidate for that yeah. uh, the guy I mentioned Adoy, I've read some interviews from him he wants to come over next year yeah. I think yeah. he's probably ready to come over next year if you're if you're looking at draft and stash. A, a name I would mention is Archer Zagers, who's a point guard out of Latvia. He's playing for Hoventude, which is uh, which is one of the best teams in Spain. Um, he's not getting a ton of playing time in Spain, but he's been considered the best point guard prospect in the international class for, for years now. Um, he's a really good pick and roll guy, really good port, court vision, fearless, can score off the dribble, pass the ball. Unfortunate thing for him is that he's in a situation in Spain where he, their backcourt is completely loaded, so he just hasn't had a chance to get a ton of playing time. But I think he's one of those diamond in the rough guys where if you drafted him now, and he's only 19 years old, if you draft him now, you let him season for a couple years overseas, then by the time he's 22, 23 years old, he's 
a all your league guy who can be helpful in your rotation. Yeah, I mean I've got no guys this level that I would be necessarily looking at. Um the other I, I would say this, like if you pick a player, either you think that you're gonna find the next, you know, Eric Pascal type where he just completely outperforms his draft slot, or um you're looking for a guy you can either stash overseas. The other way you can look at it is just to trade the pick because other other teams might like and trade it for future second rounders because these these end of second round picks who cost basically nothing might be a really cheap way for other teams you can to also fill out their roster in a year with their own money. You, you can use them as a two way guy. You absolutely you know? could. Yeah. Yeah. And like um, to me, Archer Zagers is a guy who I'd love to see. I'd love to see how he does in the G League. You know, I'd love to bring him over and just you know give him a ton of playing time in the G League and just see how he does. You know, that's that's an option as well. Um, Wes, I really appreciate you going down this rabbit hole with me. Uh, we got super in-depth. Uh, I hope it was helpful for our listeners. Like like we said earlier, this is a draft where you need to study the whole draft. You don't want to just study five or six guys. There, there's a lot of options the Warriors have, and this is a very important draft, I think, for the Warriors' future. And so, um, you know, I think I think we both brought up some names. You know, the the reality is the the guys we brought up today, a lot of them could end up being better than, you know, Anthony Edwards or, or James Wiseman or Lomo Ball, the guys who are being mentioned in the top three. That's just how fluid this draft is. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be it's this is going to be one of those drafts, and I I can tell you right now, and you can just replay this four or five years from now. This is going to be one of those drafts where I guarantee you. Four or five years from now, we're going to be like, how did that guy drop to that team at that spot? Like, that is unbelievable. And the reason is, and we're seeing it all right now, this is so freaking hard. And it is so much more difficult given the fact that there is no March Madness tournament or where there were no conference tournaments. There's none of these um, important uh, combine or, or uh, scouting events that these scouts usually have. It's going to be all based on game film. And sometimes less information is better. But uh, it's going to be a real test of some of these scouting departments. Yeah, and that's been one of the knocks on the Warriors is their European scouting department. I think that's kind of one of the big differences between the Warriors and the Spurs. But uh, but I do think they have a good scouting department. I think it's just they need to maybe bolster, get another European scout or two. But, uh, Wes, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. As always, where where can people find your stuff? Uh, follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. You can read my work over at themarketingnews.com. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. It's always great talking Warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 